What happens when God's promises don't seem to align with reality? I am with you always to the end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What happens, though, when reality seems to paint a picture that God has stepped aside, that he has abandoned his post, that he is not for you and not for me? Or even worse, a picture that God has intentionally left us to ourselves. He's locked the door to his throne room. He's cast us off into the darkness, utterly alone in our sorrow and heartbreak. What happens when life seems to say that God is no longer with us to the end of the age, that he has left us and he has intentionally forsaken us, when we feel as losers far removed from the love of God in Christ Jesus? What do we do at those moments? When we're honest and we actually pause to give thought, we often feel this way. There is no way he can still be here with me if he really is allowing me to go through all of this Again, whatever this is, why would a good God who is all good and all powerful allow me to suffer such hardship? What happens when all around our soul gives way, when darkness veils his lovely face? What happens when the reality tells us one story, a story that God is far removed, God is gone, that the glory of God has left the presence of his people? And then scripture says something else. Here's the irony of it. At these moments, we need to turn to Scripture. Or maybe more realistically, if we're in the thick of those moments, we need the compassionate ministry of others to help us turn to Scripture. We need the help of God's people to lift up our weary, tear-filled eyes to the hills. Only then, when we lift our eyes to the hills, we'll be able to discover once again where our help truly comes from. The Lord strong and mighty. See, we need to look to the Lord, the Lord of hosts, who is present with his people and who promises them his salvation. Scripture has said over and over again in the passage we looked at in Isaiah, Fear not, O people of God. You are not forsaken by your God of comfort. The Lord comforts his people. He has compassion on his people. He will not forsake us. We are engraved, Scripture says, on the palm of his hands. That is what I want each one of us to remember today. You may feel that God is far removed from your life, that he has forsaken you and your family and your friends, but allow God's word to remind you of the good, sure, and trustworthy promises. To that end, I want to focus on three things this morning. First, the promises of God's comfort. What are those promises of comfort that he gives? Second, the reality of life's circumstances. I want to take a moment to consider how life seems to say the exact contrary of God's word. And then third, I want to offer a way that we can realign our reality. That we can remind ourselves, that we can remind and rewire ourselves to know that we are not forsaken. To know that you are not forsaken. To remember this, to hold fast to this. To remind yourselves and to remind others that God is for you. He is your God. He is my God. He is our God. And we are his people. And God never forsakes his people. 
Let's turn to Isaiah 49. I'm going to read verses 8 and following. Isaiah 49 begins by saying, Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritage, saying to the prisoners, come out. To those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways, and all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them, for he who has pity on them will lead them. And by springs of water will guide them, and I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west and from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, in the singing, for the Lord has comforted His people and will have compassion on His afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste go out from you. Lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather. They come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, You shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. Father, help us this morning to not only hear your word, to hear the words of comfort, but to feel the words of comfort. Spirit of God, now, now we ask that you comfort our hearts. Help us to feel not only the truth of your word, but the reality of your presence. Help us to know this morning that you are for us, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. We need your help this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First point this morning, the promises of God's comfort. We see these promises in verse 8 to 13, but we need to see them in their broader context. See, Isaiah 39 ends with the promise of exile. God is going to raise up Babylon. Babylon is going to come and judge the southern kingdom, and he will carry off many into exile. It's what they deserve. It's, as Paul says, the wages of their sins. The years of rebellion leads to years of exile. Judgment is coming. But the Lord doesn't just promise judgment. He promises a future salvation to all who believe and trust in Him. God promises a future day of restoration. Again, verses 8 to 13. In a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land. People will come out of the darkness. They will appear. They shall feed along the ways. The Lord will have pity on them and guide them. He will level all mountains and highways raised up. People shall come from afar and it ends in rejoicing and singing. But it all starts with judgment. 
Judgment for God's people is coming for the people of Israel. The Lord promises, though, a time of favor, a day of salvation. On that coming day, the Lord will help His people. He will keep His covenant. And importantly, He will give to His people an undefined person as covenant. And whom this person, this undefined person that the Lord gives as covenant is none other than the suffering servant, the one we'll hear about in Isaiah 53. Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the new covenant. He is the one here who will bring about that time of favor, that day of salvation. He is the helper, the one who sheds his blood, will serve as a new covenant. This is the promised hope for God's people, that all that is destroyed will be restored. The land will be established. Desolate places will be renewed. The prisoners and captives set free. Prisoners will come out of their prison cells. Those in darkness will be brought into light. And they shall be cared for. They will feed along the ways. They will have pasture. They will not hunger or thirst. They will be safe from the scorching wind and the hot sun. The Lord will have pity on him. He will lead them as their good shepherd. He will guide them to springs of eternal life. Notice how this picture isn't just about personal salvation, but complete restoration. See, Christ's kingdom breaks forth into the world. It doesn't just individually save people, though it does save us, but it also redeems people who then are used by God to restore little pieces of His broken world. And take note also of the universal scope of this passage. Mountains are turned into roads. Highways will be raised up. See, the purpose of such road work is so that all the people called by the Lord may Return to Him. The glory of the Lord will be revealed to men and women and children from all the nations. They'll turn to the Lord on that day. See, the movement of Scripture is from particular to universal. From Abraham and Israel to all nations, men and women from every tribe and language and people and nation. Countless numbers of people shall come from afar, called by the Lord into His kingdom through salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is fulfilled on the day of Pentecost and continues to be fulfilled today where men and women and children from the nations come to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, these are the promises of God for His people, for all who believe. And notice how it should end. It should lead us to worship. Look at verse 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted His people and will have compassion on the afflicted. We, the people of God, are to sing for the Lord's promise to comfort His people. He will have compassion on the afflicted. And this gives us reason to hope, reason to have joy, reason to have singing. We are to be a people full of song, full of joy, full of hope because we are a people who receive the comfort and compassion of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, these are the sure promises of our God. But what happens, though, when reality of life doesn't lead us to worship, but instead leads us into sorrow and sadness and into mourning? What happens when life robs us of our joy and robs us of our singing voice? What happens when reality keeps us from that joyful singing? Judah, the southern kingdom to whom Isaiah is ministering, their time is coming. The Lord is preparing them for exile. 
He's also promising them future comfort. He's promising them a time of favor, a day of salvation. But before that, there will be exile. Sin always has consequences. And Judah is thrust into exile for the rebellion against God. But after a time, as Scripture promises, the Lord remembers His covenant. He remembers His people. He returns to them and calls them back to Himself. But in the meantime, in what we've called before, that time in between, that exile, God seems far removed. He seems to have forsaken His people. Look at verse 14. It's like a hinge verse. God offers His promises in verse 8 to 13, and the people object. Verse 14, The Lord, Zion says, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. See, reality seems to say that the Lord has forsaken His people. The Lord has turned His back. And He has not just forgotten them. He has forsaken them. It is one thing to be forgotten. It is quite another to be forsaken. It's one thing to just someone forget something and leave it. It is another thing to be intentionally, purposefully, painfully forsaken. And this is how God's people feel at this time. See, exile will push their faith in God to the breaking point. Will they be able to sing for joy in the midst of this exile? Are we able to sing when life seems to counter God's promises? Psalm 137 asks that very question. Verses 1 to 4 of the psalm. By the waters of Babylon there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, on the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How? How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Brothers and sisters, how are we to sing the Lord's song in a foreign land, in exile, when the Lord seems to have utterly abandoned and forsaken us? This isn't the time for singing. This is the time for weeping. How are we to sing now? How can we sing and rem- when we remember Zion, we remember all the promises of God to His people? And now look, how do they align with our reality? Our reality which seems to say, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. There are times, these truly are times, when our tears, not singing, must be our response. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. But life is full of these times where we can do nothing but sit down in our sadness and weep because we are overwhelmed by our life in Babylon our life in between. But there are also moments, moments where we need to see and moments we need to seize where glimmers of joy and beauty break through. We need to recognize and grasp those moments. But it's so hard to see them through the tears. How do we move forward? How do we process the harsh realities of life? And how do we process them in light of the hopeful promises of God? See, we need to realign our hearts and minds with God's reality. His reality declares that we are not forsaken. We need to allow His Word to conform us in such a way that though the darkness hides His face, we continue to rest on His unchanging grace. Look at verses 15 to 18. 
particularly verses 15 and 16, can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, the Lord God says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. The possibility of a nursing mother forgetting her child is an interesting image. As a father of five children, I cannot see how anyone could forget the cries of a hungry baby. But also the tender moment of mother with child in that very loving, intimate moment. These are some of the most precious moments a mother shares with her newborn baby. Mothers have compassion on their children. But there are the worst case scenarios. Isaiah even says that sometimes mothers do forget but the Lord will never forget. This is one of those how much more arguments in Scripture. If mothers love their children, how much more will the Lord love His people? Scripture is full of such one arguments. One more example. Matthew seven eleven. We go to fathers now. Jesus says this. If you then, who are evil, speaking to fathers... No, to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Fathers who love their children, how much more will the Lord love His? Our Heavenly Father loves us more than our small minds can grasp. When life says that we are forsaken, we need to realign our reality according to God's Word. See, life often skews our perspective. It distorts reality. Satan, the corruption of this world, and the remaining sin within our own hearts all conspire together to twist the promises of God. Satan has been whispering in our ears from the beginning, has God really said? And we have foolishly time and time again believed him. We continue to listen to his lies. Has God really said that he would promise us his salvation? Has God really promised us his comfort? Has God really promised us his compassion? Is God really with us right now? This is just too much. Life is just too hard. There's no way a loving God would allow this. God must have rejected us. Has God really said that you are His beloved child? Has God really said? And over and over and over again, we hear the lies of Satan. We hear the lies of our own sinful hearts. We hear the lies of the world and we believe them. And doubt from this world, from Satan and from our own sinful hearts, constantly torments our souls, whispering lies into our hearts, and we, the foolish ones, have kept our ears open when we should be plugging our ears and running to Christ and the cross. Now it's been a while since I've defragged a hard drive. Thank you, Apple. I used to do it religiously when I was back on Windows. See, files, when they're open and closed and moved, tend to clutter a hard drive. So every once in a while when the hard drive needed to be defragged or defragmented, it was there to put things back into the right place so they could keep the hard drive running smoothly. 
Our hearts and our minds are very much like those hard drives. We take in multiple lies and false voices. We believe them and let our emotions get turned around and about. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. The promises of God get moved around and pushed to the back. The lies of the world, Satan, and our own sinful hearts get moved to the forefront. We forget the promises of God and we exchange His gospel truths for lies. Brothers and sisters, we need to defrag our hearts and minds. And the only way to do this is with the gospel. And it's something we need to do with regularity. Otherwise, like hard drives, our lives get cluttered and slogged down. How do we know that the Lord truly loves His people? What does the Lord Himself say? I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. What a remarkable image, a beautiful picture. Notice the permanency of the image. We aren't just scribbled down, we are engraved. As if the Lord of hosts has tattooed us into the palms of His hands. And whenever He looks upward and outward, there are our names emblazoned for all eternity on the loving, powerful, and compassionate hands of the very One who has breathed life into us. This picture is nothing short of the gospel. It is the story of the Father's love for a wayward people. The story of a beloved son sent to die. The story of a son, the perfect God-man who lived the perfect life, died the bloody, brutal, shameful, but sacrificial death. And it is the story of a third day. The story that didn't end in death, but continued on in might and power as Jesus rose from the grave. It is the story of life. And we, by virtue of believing and trusting in Christ, we are now, our stories merged with the broader story of God. And we inherit the life that our Lord Jesus Christ has. But God raised Him up and raised us up also in Him. This is now the true story of our reality, even when the ordinary of every day seems to paint for us a very different picture. If we are to realign our hearts and minds with God's reality, then we need to remind ourselves every day of the gospel. In the words of the Puritan John Owen, he says this, Let faith look on Christ and the gospel as he is set forth, dying and crucified for us. Look on him under the weight of our sin, praying, bleeding, dying, bringing him in that condition to your heart by faith, applying his blood so shed to your corruptions. And Owen wisely says, do this daily. Brothers and sisters, we need to realign our hearts, defrag our minds by feasting on the gospel of Jesus Christ daily. This life we live, this time in between, is life in exile. Or as one person described it, it's life in the wilderness. But this life in the wilderness is essential for our sanctification. See, life in the wilderness is God's classroom where we learn not just about God, but we learn that He is present with us. See, we need to be schooled in the presence of God. We need to learn and relearn over and over again that God, our God, Emmanuel, is with us. Have you ever considered that the most painful moments in your life, when you look back upon Him, you see the fingerprints of God all over the story? And then you realize that those moments you are the most closest to Jesus. J.R. Briggs wrote a very helpful book called fail 
It's about failure on ministry. It's not about immoral failure like adultery or spiritual abuse. His focus is on amoral failure, basically failure outside of your own control when things just don't work out no matter how hard you've tried, no matter how faithful you were. He talks about these times of failure as times in the wilderness, those times when reality doesn't seem to line up with the promises of God. He describes it as harsh but necessary grace of God. Listen to what he writes. He says this, Spiritual maturity is learning to embrace the wilderness as the harsh, harsh grace of God. If God does some of his best work in the wilderness... It should be no surprise that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to prepare him for ministry. Why then are we surprised when the Spirit leads us there too? Perhaps, he says, we should expect it. Though we complain when we are in the wilderness, we might discover Jesus standing beside us the entire time, even when we have failed to notice his presence. Brothers and sisters, are you in the wilderness of life right now? Are you experiencing the harsh grace of God? Does life, all of your reality, seem to oppose God's clear promises of Scripture? Know that you are being led there by the Spirit of God. and faith, look up. See Jesus right there beside you the entire time. It's not that He is absent. It's that we just don't see Him clearly. Spirit, Help us feel your presence. Help us to see Jesus beside us, our good shepherd, leading us in the streams of water. Our Father, before your throne above, we have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for us. Our names are graven on his hands. Our names are written on his heart. We know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid us to depart. No tongue can bid us to depart. Spirit of God, impress these truths upon us, your people today. Help us to know that we are not orphan children, but beloved, adopted children of the King. That you, Jesus, are with us. That you, Spirit, are with us. That you, Father, have set your deep covenant love and affection upon us. Impress these truths upon our hearts today. And as we walk through the wilderness, help us to see Jesus there with us the entire time. Help us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen.